This Thursday in the Christian calendar is the Feast of the Ascension. And for those of you who may not be as familiar with the details of the Christian story, I'll I'll just describe briefly. Um, The first four books of the New Testament are the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are biographies of Jesus, and all these end with Jesus' resurrection and then a few post-resurrection narratives. Each each Gospel kind of has its own version of of the post-resurrection narratives. Um, Then the following book is Acts of the Apostles. Chapter 1 of Acts of the Apostles, Jesus gathers, gathers all the disciples together and explains how he's, he's going to go to his father and they should wait in Jerusalem. He's going to send the paraclete, the helper. And then he rises up into the air and he disappears. And it's, this, it's actually this wonderful literary moment in the, in the New Testament. The, the apostles, they watch him go up and then they're just sort of standing there stunned. <laughs> like looking up into the sky and eventually an angel has to come and say, you know, men of Galilee, like, you know, essentially wake up, you know, he's not coming back right now, you know, this sort of thing. Um, and so they're, they're in this very disoriented kind of place. And, um, but then in chapter two, then that's 10 days later, the Pentecost, the Holy spirit comes and then they get all emboldened and they, they start out spreading Christianity. Um, but I was really struck by that moment, that moment of of being stunned in a moment of loss, which is what the um, what the apostles were experiencing in that moment. Um, I, I will say that the the within the context of Christianity, ascension is it's a it's a celebratory, triumphant kind of feast. But I'm, so I'm taking kind of an idiosyncratic approach. Um, it actually, it actually reminded me of grief, and that, and so grief is my topic tonight. Um, and as you probably know, there are several stages of grief. One is that you know, early just stunned kind of feeling, as the apostles were were feeling in that moment. That you know, that lost, what do we do now kind of thing. Um, and grief has several seasons to it. Um, certainly anger and rage, certainly tremendous sadness. Um, after sometimes the more um, intense emotions pass, then there's sometimes there's just disorientation, you know, who am I now kind of stuff. Not sure what that was. Um, And grief challenges us in a, in a few ways. Um, first of all, it's such a potent reminder, such a potent challenge. We are not in control of our ongoing experience, you know. And for, for people who like to be more, like, in control of their experience, uh, grief can be very difficult. And grief can be something that often gets suppressed or, or overmanaged because people don't want to face it. Um, it also challenges us in terms of our capacity you know grief can be a very powerful emotion and can bring up you know the anger associated with it the sadness associated with it all these can be very powerful emotions and it can be more than we're able to hold at any one moment Uh, and so in that way it's a challenge also Um, and of course there's 
there's the the very acknowledged grief you know certainly when when somebody close to us passes away that that's a particular kind of grief but there are many other kinds of grief also the grief that happens at any major crossroad in life you know a romantic breakup a loss of a job a moving out of a a place where we lived a long time or you know um often it can be something very very positive you know even two people getting married you know it's a wonderful celebratory experience but each one is as it were losing what it meant to be single you know and so there can be grief as part of that process as well um and it's how can i say it's part of life grief and it really is in a way a debt that we owe life to feel grief when it arrives in our lives you know to feel it as deeply as possible and as much as possible um to give ourselves to it as much as possible um and again the, that's hard for a variety of reasons one of the things that particularly tricky about grief uh many of the griefs that i i've mentioned so far are what i might call outer griefs griefs about some event that happens outside of me um very different from inner griefs and often outer grief and inner grief have a very complex dynamic um inner grief are the parts of me that are that even as i walk around in my everyday life are not alive within me the places that have been imprisoned the places that have been forbidden locked away you know sometimes it's the person's own choice you know the person maybe in teen or 20s or something like that they have a particularly painful episode and they say all right i'm not going to go to that part of my life or i'm not going to do that thing again and then that door gets locked behind bolts that sort of thing um and then there's a place in them that a a healthy curiosity that just wants to know what is that that part of life that's been shut away um and often there's a grief of being of that place being locked away um it's even more profound when the parts of us that are locked away when that happens because of early childhood trauma because of early childhood trauma we're given some kind of message very early in life that there's certain kinds of vitality or certain kinds of modes of being that we are quote you know not allowed to to step into um and then we walk around you know essentially all of our adult life with this place as it were locked in prison you know and that that grief often has a you might say a timeless quality because it you know it arrived in our body before we're able to reckon time in in any significant way and so it's a it's a wonderful question just to sit with you know where does grief live in our bodies how does it show up in our bodies where do we hold it um what parts of us are holding grief right now what parts of us would like to be more alive right now that aren't um you know and be very gentle with this all this is about being incredibly gentle and loving and compassionate with ourselves you know it's um how can i say a, a lot of times walking the road of grief and especially exploring places of inner grief 
it's very much about building capacity, you know, that the, the logical mind wants to do this. Well, I can do this all at once, you know, that kind of thing. And that's not how it works. You know, it's very much about, uh, I mean, we build capacity by just sitting with the uncomfortable places and just every day leaning into it a little more, leaning into it a little more until something can shift. Um, And it's funny, we live in a, in a society that so denies death, that so, um, that makes it so uh, not normal for, to have an experience of death, to be thinking about death, this sort of thing. Um, you know, it, it's really shocking in a way. It's, it always shocks me that, you know, to think, Say 200 years ago, there was not modern medicine. People died all the time. Children died. People died in their teens, 20s, 30s. You know, it would not be at all unusual for a family to have 12 kids and maybe three live to adulthood, you know. And now we live in a world in which everyone, you know, not everyone, but virtually everyone lives to like 70s, 80s, 90s. And we're not grateful for that. We completely take it for granted, you know, and it it's just so bizarre. Like if if past generations could look at us like they, oh, wow, those people are so lucky, you know, and, you know, do we feel lucky? You know, this sort of thing. I think part of having a more, might you might say, noble relationship to grief is befriending death. Which is, which is a very um, a paradoxical concept if you've never heard it before. Um, and again, something that sounds particularly odd given the, the assumptions of, of our society. Um, death is part of life, you know, and, and in particular the, the meditative traditions, both East and West, you know, monks and nuns in the West would sleep in their coffins every night, you know, Buddhists would, you know, young Buddhist monks would be told to go train at the burial grounds and just sit meditating, watching decomposing bodies, this sort of thing. Um, and again, we live in a world that is so far removed from any of that. Um, what is your relationship with death? What is your relationship with your own mortality? You know, and how can you how can you lean into that a little more and appreciate the wisdom and the power that comes from that relationship as opposed to, you know, it just being something that we avoid? You know, what does it mean to, what is our relationship with loss? You know, even apart from, from you know, big ticket grief, just what's our relationship with loss? You know? Do we take loss personally? Like, is it, you know, every time loss happens, is it, is it a personal front? You know, how dare life does this to me? You know, this sort of thing. Um, you know, how noble can we be in allowing, allowing things to go that need to go, you know? In some sense, Buddhism really is a kind of invitation to the most noble part of us 
you know, not, not to a place of insensitivity, but to a place of feeling everything deeply, but, but with a more noble spirit. I remember the poet David White once talking about, he was criticizing Buddhist groups, and he said, you know, if you listen to a lot of Buddhist groups where they, they talk about enlightenment, and, you know, they'll be going on and on about how great enlightenment is, and he says you could really take out the word enlightenment and substitute the word immunity, and the whole conversation would still work the same way, you know? And whatever enlightenment is, and I don't pretend to have any kind of you know, personal insight into that, it's not immunity. <laughs> enlightenment is, you know, all of Buddhism is about feeling everything more deeply, more intensely. Um, I mean, even to be friends with death and to be comfortable with death doesn't mean that we wouldn't be devastated if someone close to us died, but it might mean that we would have more of the pure experience of that personal loss without also the existential, why does this have to happen, kind of stuff on top of it. So at this point, I'll share the quote sheet. First, I'll share it with the, the Zoomies. agreement. Someone joining these for Healing Collective. That's a whole different thing. Yes. So from Shakespeare. Give sorrow words. The grief does not speak, knits up the overwrought heart and bids it break. And there, there is something wonderful about that, about just finding those safe places where we can speak our sorrow. From Helen Keller, who was a very wise and powerful woman. Once we enjoyed and deeply, what we enjoyed and deeply loved, we can never lose for all that we love deeply becomes, deeply becomes part of us. And that, that resonates true for me in so many ways. C.S. Lewis says, we were promised suffering. They were part of the program. We were even told, blessed are they that mourn. And I accept it. I've gotten nothing that I hadn't bargained for. Of course, it is different when the thing happens to oneself, not to others, and in reality, not imagination. Psychologist Eric Frome said, To spare oneself from grief at all costs can only be achieved at the price of total disattachment, which excludes the ability to experience happiness. Norman Cousins said, death is not the greatest loss in life. The greatest loss in life is what dies inside us while we live. Or what is cut off from life within us while we live. Ajahn Chah said, 
to me, he's holding a beautiful teacup as he says this. To me, this cup is already broken. Because I know it's fate, I can enjoy it fully here and now. You know, and how can I say? I've, I really have cultivated awareness of mortality for a while. And it really does, it gives a kind of precious quality to people. You know, even the students I teach, you know, there's something precious and irreplaceable about each person. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross said, the reality is that you will grieve forever. You will not, quote, get over the loss of a loved one. You will learn to live with it. You will heal and you will rebuild yourself around the loss you have suffered. You will be whole again, but you will never be the same, nor should you be the same, nor would you want to be. Marion Woodman, the Jungian psychologist, said, this is your body, your greatest gift, pregnant with wisdom you do not hear, grief you thought was forgotten, and joy you have never known. I love Marion Woodman. Jack Cornfield said, Grief and loss and suffering, even depression and spiritual crises, the dark nights of the soul, only worsen when we try to ignore or deny or avoid them. The healing journey begins when we turn toward them and learn how to work with them. When we stop fighting against our difficulties and find the strength to meet our demons and difficulties head on, we often find that we emerge from our difficulties stronger and humbler and more grounded than we were before we experienced them. To survive our difficulties is to be initiated into the fraternity of wisdom. Sharon Salzberg says, No matter how much we want it to be otherwise, the truth is that we are not in control of the unfolding of our experience. That one is just a deep one to sink into. Bell Hooks said, The practice of love offers no place of safety. We risk loss, hurt, pain. We risk being acted upon by forces outside our control, including forces within our psyche outside of our control. David White said, The only choice we have as we mature is how we inhabit our vulnerability, how we become larger and more courageous and more compassionate through our intimacy with disappearance. Our choice is to inhabit vulnerability as generous citizens of loss, robustly and fully, or conversely, as misers and complainers, reluctant and fearful, always at the gates of existence, but never bravely and completely attempting to enter, never wanting to risk ourselves, never walking fully through the door. Arthur Golden said, Grief is a most peculiar thing. We're so helpless in the face of it. It's like a window that will simply open of its own accord. The room goes, grows cold and we can do nothing but shiver. But it opens a little less each time and a little less. And one day we wonder what has become of it. Laurel Hamilton says, You cannot die of grief, although it feels as if you can. A heart doesn't actually break, though sometimes your chest aches as if it is breaking. Grief dims with time. It is the way of things. There comes a day when you smile again and you feel like a traitor. How dare I feel happy? How dare I feel glad in a world where my father is no more? Then you cry fresh tears because you do not miss him as much as you once did. And giving up your grief is another kind of death. Mm. 
Jenny Nelson said, My sister will die over and over again for the rest of my life. Grief is forever. It doesn't go away. It becomes part of you step for step, breath for breath. I will never stop grieving Bailey because I will never stop loving her. That's just how it is. Grief and love are conjoined. You don't get one without the other. All I can do is love her and love the world, emulate her by living with daring daring and spirit and joy. Elizabeth Gilbert said, Deep grief is sometimes sometimes is almost like a specific location, a coordinate on the map of time. When you're standing in that place in that forest of sorrow, you cannot imagine that you could ever find your way to a better place. But if someone can assure you that they themselves have stood in that place and now have moved on, sometimes this will bring hope. Sarah Dessen said, Grief can be a burden, but it is also an anchor. You get used to the weight, how it holds you in place. Rachel Hawkins said, It sucks that we miss people like that. You think you've accepted that someone is out of your life, that you've grieved and it's over, then bam, one little thing, and you feel like you've lost that person all over again. And that is a quality of grief that it's never, you know, sometimes it's just as vivid, you know, something brings it back so vividly years later. Caitlin Doherty says, accepting death doesn't mean that we won't be devastated when someone you love dies. It means you will be able to focus on your grief, unburdened by bigger existential questions like, why do people die or why is this happening to me? Death isn't happening to you. Death is happening to all of us. And Elizabeth Mattis said, I have a personal koan. How do we live a life we can't hold on to? How do we live with the fact that one moment we're born, that the moment we're born, we're closer to death? When we fall in love, we sign up for grief. How do we reconcile that gain always ends in loss, gathering in separation? Mm. 